Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to Season 2 of Can You Survive This Podcast? Where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Clint, and thank you for listening to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast? We are doing a compilation of the greatest hits, if you will, of the past. And we thought, hey, why not give you a taste of the best interviews you may have missed, the best survival stories and tips you may not have paid attention to last time. So hold on and get ready for Can You Survive This Podcast's Greatest Hits. Enjoy. Some of the guys dug up something about you here. Uh, can you uh, tell us about, what is this about Topaz? a spy story yeah. from when you were a young officer. So I was a young counterintelligence agent in Bel- Belgium in the early 90s, and peace was breaking out in quotes, right? The wall came down. There I was, young Captain Costa. I was a counterintelligence agent with badge and credentials. My job was to conduct sensitive investigations uh, to identify, essentially, and disrupt espionage operations being directed against NATO. I was Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe, which is in shape, known as shape in Mons, Belgium. And I was at the headquarters in those days. I think we had 16 members of NATO. Each country was responsible for their own counterintelligence. But I was charged with conducting investigations and working with our partners. And uh, at the time, it was fascinating that there was a media disclosure. There were leaks and disclosures. The media kept reporting on codename Topaz. By the way, the Topaz was selected because uh, it was a Hitchcock movie that was about a spy in Cuba during uh, during the the. Cuban Missile Crisis. So it was an ode to a Hitchcock spy thriller. So the media kept talking about the penetration of NATO. And the nickname they came up with was Topaz. So we, counterintelligence folks, we knew. We knew there was a penetration of NATO. There was a spy there. And we were hunting for that spy. And so wasn't NATO headquarters. So wasn't the intelligence services of multiple countries, Germany, Belgium in particular, and the FBI and the French, candidly. And over over time, I would create, uh, obviously, lots of paperwork on investigations, and we would have to share that paperwork, sensitive paper, with the NATO Office of Security. And the woman who I dealt with in that office was a secretary, and it turned out 
that she was married to Topaz and Topaz was uncovered as a spy uh, recruited by the East Germans. As I recall, he penetrated NATO. He existed there for, for many years until he was uncovered and arrested. And I had a excellent vantage point to see, you know, treachery first, firsthand. First of all, um, Christian Rupp, who was married uh, to this um, individual that we call Topaz, her husband, the spy, I could deal with her on a day-to-day -day basis and then later realize that there was a level of betrayal there, not to mention her husband was a serious spy. It was very, very good learning for me as a young counterintelligence officer. Of course, there's a lot more detail that I can't talk about here, the kind of the leads that we followed. I did notice that my Belgian counterparts started speaking, instead of French, they started speaking German. And it was because they were dealing <laughs> with the West German intelligence services, right? Yeah. So these were some, of, in hindsight, these were some of the clues that I didn't know exactly what was happening, even from an investigative standpoint. So, you know, espionage and topaz is absolutely a wilderness of mirrors. And as a young captain running around Europe in the aftermath of the wall coming down, it was a lot of fun for me to participate, you know, walking on cobble street, cobblestone streets, going to meetings in foggy towns. I won't say where those meetings were in Europe. That was a lot of fun. That was the, the end of the Cold War, except for the Russians never quit. Right. Uh, yeah. They, continue to conduct operations as we've learned yeah yep they are not to be trusted for sure i like that a a, a wilderness of mirrors right yeah that's, uh, i wish i could take credit for that like everything uh clint there's <laughs> an excellent book that talked about the wilderness of mirrors and uh, it came from for what it's worth james uh, Jesus Angleton or Jesus Angleton, whatever you prefer, was a counterintelligence officer at CIA. In much of the world he lived in was this wilderness of mirrors where every good asset run by the CIA, he saw a plant from the Soviet Union. So many people have referred to the er era of Angleton as a time of wilderness of mirrors. More generically, that's the business that... Uh, both of us have operated in that mm -hmm. state. Now let's get into some fun stuff. So, uh, you know, being a career spy and having done what you've done for as long as you've done it, lessons learned that apply to the average person, right? So, you know, um, we call it tradecraft for those of you listening. Tradecraft really is just a discreet way of getting getting business done. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of schools out there and training that both Chris and I have had. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff you see in Hollywood that exploits some of that. Um, but if I were to, you know, if I was walking down the street and I thought I had a stalker, you know, Chris, what would you what would you advise the, some some cool tricks or tips that you think that might help to determine whether or not I've got a stalker or not? So I guess I would run a improvised surveillance detection route, which I've tr been trained to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about uh, looking into windows 
and stopping and tying my shoe. I'm talking about maybe going into what we would call you know, uh, an intrusion point, you know, into a store. The individual who's on the street follows me into a store that has multiple exits and entrances, like in a mall. If mm -hmm. I could do that in an improvised way, and that individual follows me into that location and exits with me at one of those many exits, then that's more than a coincidence. And maybe I'm going to do something again to just determine that I am, in fact, being followed but i would make mental note of it and eventually i would get to the point where i want to break contact from that individual because i don't know if there's somebody that's going to rob me so i would use the skills that i've been trained to do to kind of break contact as i said going into a building with multiple exits and entrances a multi-story building with lots of people once confirming that this individual came to the location then my adrenaline might start start pumping just a little bit why is the individual following me and then uh, if nothing else i've honed observation skills what's the individual wearing does he look to be aggressive in any way shape or form does he have anything that can be used as a weapon in his hand so i would basically be collecting information and doing some confirmation so that's how i would approach that yeah no that's all great tips and i think you're right when you um you know, if you want to, if you get into an environment, you feel like you're, you've got somebody tailing you in some form or fashion. I used to tell people, it's like increased density, you know, will help increase the odds of losing that person, right? Without them knowing you lost them. Because um, sometimes would you say giving up that you know that they're there? Is that a good thing? Or, or do you want to, you, you don't want them to know that you know. You're exactly right, Clinton. I was yeah. going to make that point. Two things. One, you want to conduct that surveillance detection, just like in the intelligence business and this stuff you can find in many, many books talking about the principles of surveillance detection. You want to do so without aggravating whoever's following you. You don't yeah. want them to know you're doing a surveillance detection. And that's the art of what we're, we don't talk about intelligence officers, the very details of the tricks of the trade in, in, in painful detail because that gives us a competitive advantage of doing a surveillance detection in applying that tradecraft in such a way that our adversaries don't think that we're doing a surveillance detection route because if they think you're doing a surveillance detection route then the gig's up right. you know who they are and the other thing and this is hard for anybody to avoid but try not to establish eye contact because if that person is following you you establish eye contact then that can aggravate the individual i've been a surveillance with fbi and when somebody you're following establishes eye contact you think they're screwing with you like i know who you are and that just makes you a little aggravated and when you're the fbi and you're aggravated then you can change the rules of the game a little bit so <laughs> yeah. right Same, yeah. so can't somebody that's following you that might be a stalker but then you look at them and you determine that they feel now threatened and then how are they going to react so it's best to conduct a surveillance detection without your adversary in this case or potential adversary knowing that you're doing it I want people to hear, like, what, what are some of the things they could see if they were to go visit the Spy Museum? What's some of the cool stuff they get to see? 
so truly uh, as an ode to you and an appreciation of what we're doing today, I like to show people your artifacts, right? And I like to talk about surreptitious entry and some of the simplicity, the elegant simplicity of the tradecraft tools that you had. So that's a bit of a teaser. I'm not going to go into details i want your audience to come see what clint emerson has in our museum but it's much about surreptitious entry tracking bad actors but you have to get into their spaces right yeah um you have to in some cases employ disguise techniques in excellent and sound tradecraft so i think those are some of the tools of espionage we also have the tools and we alluded to it by talking about you know russia's long history of covert action that includes assassination so one of my favorite artifacts is from a mutual friend of ours uh h keith melton who is the biggest collector of intelligence gadgetry and artifacts on the planet and he donated yeah. seven thousand artifacts to the international spy museum and one of my favorites is the um ice axe that actually killed a dissident in 1940 by the name of Trotsky. The audience might remember that uh, in 1940, he was Stalin's number one enemy. Stalin dispatched a team of intelligence officers to kill him, not once, but twice. And uh, two times was a charm. Trotsky was killed with an ice axe. And we have that ice axe in the museum. It still also, has the blood on it, doesn't it? What's that? It still has the blood on it, doesn't it? Does. It does, and the fingerprints are are laden. You can yeah. see them on the blood. That's it's so cool. too macabre for some people, uh, but uh, I find it fascinating. And, you know, the skills that you are excellent at uh, uh, remind me of Argo in exfiltration, right? We infiltrate people into countries uh, to conduct operations, but there are occasions and uh, I think both of us have been involved with exfiltration planning without any details where we have to get somebody, a good guy or gal, out of a country safely. Yeah. And one of the classic stories, you know it well, is from the movie Argo. Ben Affleck uh, played um, Tony Mendez. It, you know, in, in the movie, we have the artifacts, the real life movie script, the horrible movie I should add, right? <laughs> that was was the cover for why why Tony was in Iran to to uh, to get Americans that were held up in the Canadian embassy out of Iran circa 1979. It wasn't until I think around 2000 that George Tenet, the director of the CIA, said, hey, we got to tell this story. So Americans, the public, are, um, are privy to really a great story about exfiltration, about tradecraft, about our intelligence services, about our foreign partners, and really indirectly about some of the work that you've done. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was a great movie, and and you know, most people don't know Tony Mendez. I mean, he's a legend at the CIA, master of disguise. Um, I mean, heck, he was he was good at everything that related to like the more uh, the sexier side of tradecraft. He he was good at, you know, back then, uh, fake passports. I mean, he stood up the whole shop that you know built these types of things and um his book is incredible it was one of the one i mean it kind of led me i mean that i read his book when it first came out i don't remember where the hell i was but 
I was so intrigued by him and his wife. Um, and, uh, for those listening, Tony passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, but, uh, John is still, uh, up and running and she too is a, an expert in disguise and stuff. And right, I'm going to try and get her on the show. Um, but yeah, that's uh man, good stuff at the spy museum. If you have the opportunity, go check it out. Um, it's summertime. There's no reason you shouldn't just get up to DC. It's a great city to visit. I don't know about living there, but, uh, <laughs> it's a great place. Every American should go to the Capitol and hang out for a week and definitely see the spy museum. If you run past me once or like whatever, like I'll notice you, if you run past me twice, I think like, okay, maybe they forgot something or maybe like whatever you run past me a third time. I'm literally watching you until I don't see you again. So they know that I, I, I know exactly who you are and what you look like. Right. No, I think that's good. And in the world of surveillance, which is where I played for a while, um, you know, you had rules that you never drive past the target more than once, right? When you're doing a CTR, which is a close target reconnaissance. And, um, and, and it's for that reason, because twice it's kind of like a magic trick. Once is knowledge or once is a, once is magic twice is knowledge. Right. And so you want to keep everything you do kind of like a magic trick. You only want to really do it once. Um, but on the receiving end, you definitely should be looking for those multiple passes, uh, in any of those other signs and symptoms, um, that someone's, uh, targeting you. Um, so, okay. You finish your coffee. You decide to take a little walk in the city. After a few blocks, you notice that same guy is also walking, and he's about 20 feet behind you, okay? You cross the street. Do you, A, walk faster and don't look back, or B, use the glass from one of the store windows, leverage it as a mirror, and check and see what he's up to? Hmm. Probably B. B. I'd want to know where he's at. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't want to alert him because you kind of you want to you're playing chess with this guy to a certain yeah. degree. Yeah. Um, it, granted, it could be coincidence. Mm-hmm. Totally could be. You know, there's another saying in uh, uh, in the surveillance world is that strange does not necessarily mean it's bad, right? Mm-hmm. It could be just something strange going on, and so it's easy to see ghosts. It's so easy to think that someone's after you, but you should always sift through catalog what's going on and then confirm Um, and there's a lot of ways to sift catalog and confirm Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like what you want to do with someone following you you're listening to can you survive this podcast thanks for tuning in please make sure to subscribe rate and share on the iHeartRadio app apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows I think we have to move into your hypothetical survival scenario. Are you okay. ready, Keith? Are you I going am. to? I think so, I am. <laughs> all right, here we go. So the way this works, you know, I'm going to be laying out uh, a story. It's a path. It's a journey, if you will. Okay. Um, with every question, there's only two answers. They both could be right. They both could be wrong. Your job is just to pick the right one so okay. that uh, you survive the next question. Okay. okay. So. Um, it's unorthodox, you know, we, uh, we'll throw all kinds of stuff at you and, uh, you could give me the right answer, but the right answer is what's on my sheet right here. So let's go ahead and get this started. All right. So for this scenario, you'll be attending a banquet in DC. Uh, and for this particular banquet, you and the spy museum have agreed to, uh, put the Trotsky ice pick on display. 
Okay. The banquet will be taking place at a hotel in D.C., and you are given a room there. But the morning of the event, you receive a tip that someone may be trying to steal the ice pick. Now, what is the value of the Trotsky ice pick? Well, it's insured for millions of dollars. Uh, yeah. It is, it's hard to assign a set value, but that's what we have appraisers that do that for, for the museum. And for people that don't know, this was a an assassination weapon that you recovered, and it still has the blood on it, correct? It's the it's the Alpenstuck, the ice climbing axe that Ramon Mercader used to kill Leon Trotsky on August the 20th of 1940. Wow. This thing's been around the block. Um, okay, so let's see here. The morning of the event, you receive a tip that someone's trying to steal the ice pick uh, that night. And the tipster says uh, it's going to be an inside job. All right. So you probably need to watch Chris Costa, who we've had on the show. <laughs> All right. Uh, and the tipster says whoever is after the pick also has intelligence that is pertinent to national security. Okay. It's important information. Okay. Uh, you must protect the pick. You must determine who the pick thief is and find out what intelligence they have. We will jump right into the first question. All right. So, um, do you a call the hotel and let them tell them your room needs to be closest to the stairwell or B call the hotel and request a hotel map that shows the layout of the rooms. B, we'll get the map. That's right, B. Um, we all know getting, you know, if you have the opportunity to pick a room uh, near the stairwell, especially for females, not a good idea. It's easy to get grabbed by your ponytail, drug into the stairwell. Stairwells in most commercial buildings have their own HVAC and pressurized for fire reasons, so nobody can hear you scream. Nobody knows what's going on inside the stairwell. Um, and that also applies to men. You know, you could have uh, any criminal uh, organization drag you into that stairwell and then uh, you disappear. So it's good to stay away from them. But, you know, uh, with your answer being the correct one, um, requesting a map or looking them up online and getting a lay of the land before you even show up is always a good idea. All right. So now you've made your room request to the hotel. Uh, it is still daytime, so do you A, go to the hotel room early, or B, pick up a burner phone on your way to the hotel? I'd go to the hotel early and actually change rooms. Hmm. Okay. That's, uh, that's not wrong but it's wrong on my sheet. <laughs> so, you know, going along with the story and pushing you, we're kind of pushing you down the path. Um, B, pick up a burner phone on your way to the hotel. While it is true that if you, uh, you know, you show up early and on time, it's, uh, you know, it gives you time to prepare, gives you time to switch rooms. There's a lot of things you could do when you show up early, but an extra phone that can be hidden in a room and used as a listening de device uh, would certainly help you um, knowing what's going on in your room while you're gone or while you're not there. As you know, these smartphones can be leveraged in so many ways. In fact, there's apps out there that will allow you to turn your phone into a listening device where you can call in on it, turn it on, 
and uh, listen to the microphone. And you and I both know that also, you know, foreign services are very good at uh, um, putting uh, malware on a phone remotely and then using it against you, whether it's to listen, to capture data, or to track you. So um, using a burner phone and not your other phone is a, you can throw it in your room and then leverage it to keep track of what's going on. You know, once again, we're trying to stay ahead of the tip that you got that, you know, this um, pick is going to be stolen. All right, so there you go. You decide to set up a, uh, an audio surveillance device in your room. Uh, many people don't know that a speaker and a microphone, uh, for the most part, are one and the same. Um, it's a diaphragm with a positive negative lead. The diaphragm uh, vibrates. Uh, the vibrations can either be picked up and then uh, that information can be passed down a wire, which is called a microphone. Uh, you reverse the leads and that diaphragm now can um, push information out. And the diaphragm vibrates and that's what gives you music. Um, so you, like you said, you're an engineer. You knew that, okay, I can take this, uh, this speaker and I can switch some wires around and all of a sudden... The uh, a microphone becomes a listening device. A listening device can then become a uh, microphone. All right. So any speaker, uh, you can use old school earbuds. The new ones have a microfilament in it that if you take a soldering iron to it, it burns the crap out of it. So uh, bigger headsets and headphones, if you dig around in there, you can switch the wires around and uh, turn your headset into a listening device. Um pretty cool little trick that you uh that you did keith so now your hotel room stereo system is now one big listening device all right so after setting up the phone on silent and auto answer and you hide uh your audio system device that you've created back inside of the stereo itself so you've taken your phone you've connected it into the jack of the stereo system the stereo system now is one big listening device hooked up to your burner phone. Okay, so hopefully making sense for everybody listening. Um, and upon exiting your room, do you A, close the door to your room and put on the do not disturb sign, or B, choose not to hang the do not disturb sign on your door? As a matter of form, I would put the do not disturb sign on. Correct. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's a there's a trick when you hang your, uh, you know, I put this in 100 Deli Skills. You can take the hanger that says do not disturb. You put it on your doorknob. And just before the, the door meets the door frame, go ahead and allow uh, that hanger to slip inside between the door and the door frame as the door closes. So basically what it looks like to the third parties is that the, the, the sign was kind of swinging as you close the door and it got hung up between the door and the door frame. The beautiful thing about this is it's a trap. And you and I, we both love traps. I mean, it's just kind of cool the different things you can do to increase your awareness as you approach your own hotel room door. So if you've put that sign on your doorknob and you let it catch in the door, and then the next time you come back, it's hanging freely, immediately it's telling you like, okay, I got to pay attention when I go inside, right? What other what other traps uh, do you think are pretty cool for hotel room doors or in hotel rooms generally? 
depending on the floor, uh, one I used to love on hardwood floors was taking some cereal and lightly putting it under a rug, a mat. So then he would step on, they'd step on a mat, they'd crunch the cereal. Uh, Ah, yeah. So anybody close to your door. Yeah, someone close to your door. It doesn't work as much on on carpet. Uh, Depending on the area, simply blowing dust on anything that you're trying to protect. Just blow it. You can recover some dust from the vent. Put it in your hand and then blow it. So put a fine coat of dust on your briefcase or papers so you can see it in oblique light. But the bad guy can't. And dust is a nightmare for anyone that's doing a search to be able to uh, to be able to detect uh, any yeah. precise measurement. Uh, opening a and you may have covered it in, in one of the hundred deadly skills. Opening a closet door but leaving it precisely the width of a dime or a quarter open. So yeah. anyone that opens it, there's no way they're going to be able to get it precisely. Um, any little thing uh, like that. The key is, are you under surveillance in the room and can you do it in somewhat an effortless way? Mm-hmm. Because if you lay too many traps and the bad guys see you, well, then clearly they're going to know you have something to hide, which is going to bring them to put every resource they have against you. So right. trying to do it uh, deftly without drawing more surveillance, I think, is a bigger challenge. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a... Uh... Going back a little bit on some of your comments, yeah, it's, I, I think the best traps are natural to your environment. You're not bringing something in like what you see in the movies, a piece of tape you know, attached to the door in the door frame. That piece of tape stands out. That piece of tape says you're trying to catch someone, whereas the hair off your head, and it happens to fall off the doorknob uh, wherever you place it, that's more natural, natural to the environment. Dust is natural to the environment, um, and discrete alignment like what you're talking about using a quarter a coin or even your thumb your thumb width is great for drawers for closets for doors um and the other thing is is if you're under surveillance in that room you don't want to be obvious because if you are that could bring on a lot more a lot more scrutiny than than you'd want and so you've got to do everything as if you're just i'm unpacking my suitcase i'm opening drawers i'm closing them thumb no one's going to see that on camera that you just left your thumb in the drawer before it closed all the way same thing with the closet and then same thing when you're leaving your room and you let that thing swing slightly close the door gets trapped and that becomes your first alarm to pay attention when you go in your room okay back to the scenario um so we know that closing the sign in the room is a is a way to determine if anything's been tampered with um now it's almost evening, and the guests will be arriving soon. Do you, A, go down to the banquet hall and greet the guests, or B, go out to the SUV that uh, brought you there and, and observe attendees as they enter the building? I'd like to see, watch the attendees, see who's sure. there. Yeah, set up surveillance. I mean, if it's an inside job, you don't know who you can trust, right? And uh, it's a good idea to see, you know, uh, people's projection and demeanor. Um, you and I both know if they're a pro at this, then you're probably not going to see much, but at least you get a lay of the land and, uh, you might be able to do a process of elimination at a, at a minimum. Right. Um, as you try to surveil the situation, uh, you can, you can get into the back 
part of the SUV and watch through, you know, tinted windows, uh, looking for anyone who looks suspicious. Um, you know, and we all know that tent, you know, you really, anytime you have a hide site, it could be in a vehicle, it can be in a, in another hotel room, looking across at another building. Um, really what you're doing is you are deceiving observers by controlling light. And the key is not to silhouette yourself, whether you're in a vehicle or you're in a room. Um, and there's a lot of ways to do this um, so that your car or your room or wherever you ha have set up to do surveillance doesn't stand out. And that's the goal. You don't want to stand out, um, especially during the day. Now, as it gets dark and, you, you know, it, uh, it, works, it works for you rather than against you, uh, opposed to like daytime or daylight. Um, now that it's nighttime, um, all the attendees are inside. Uh, do you a skip the event and uh, get the pick out of there safely or B go inside and schmooze, build rapport with the banquet attendees, uh, and continue with the pick on display? The latter, because if I have a intelligence collection objective, I probably won't achieve it if I take the pick and get out. That's right. And plus, you know, it's like, that's what the whole event's for. <laughs> so you don't want to ruin an event based on a tip. Um, you just got to increase your awareness and make sure you stay ahead of, uh, stay ahead of your adversary. Um, you can't bail on the mission now, right? So you have to, uh, you have to find the pick thief and uh, get their intel. Um, it could be a matter of national security, as they say. Uh, it has been about an hour of small talk around the party, which I know you love. And you decide to go check on your room. Um, when you get to the room, you see the do not disturb sign is no longer stuck in the door frame. Okay. So tampering has been detected. Your situational awareness is heightened. So do you A, go inside the room and see if anything is missing or B, slowly get away from the room. Use your cell phone to call your burner phone which then allows you to listen to what's going on inside. B. B is correct. You I want to know what's in that room before I go in. That's right. You call and listen to the audio device. Um, you know, remember it's set to auto answer. That is a feature that is hard to come by these days. <laughs> and you hear two voices in the room. All right. Uh, they're looking for the pick inside your room, but realize it's already on display downstairs. Okay. These guys aren't very smart. They, they haven't been really doing good surveillance on you. Um, they disclose uh, to one another that a tall man in a red tie will be the one to take the pick from the display downstairs. Okay. So now you really know what's going on. Tall guy in a red tie. Um, with this new information, do you A, alert security to the suspect's description or B, Go back to the party, act normal, but keep your eye on the tall guy in the red tie. Second choice. Yes. You know, typically alerting authorities probably be a good idea, but let's face it. This is all based on tip and somewhat hearsay and, you know, you might look crazy um, going into this whole, uh, you know, <laughs> story about the pick's going to get stolen and I know who it is and I've got listening devices in my hotel room and I trap my door. And anyway, people are going to start looking at you sideways. So 
you decide to just kind of keep this to yourself and uh, keep the mission going. Um, and now it's getting late. Banquet attendees are starting to leave. The place is emptying out quickly. So do you, A, take the pick and get the hell out of there, or B, hide the pick in your view so that you can catch this tall, red, tied ice pick thief? I, I would say the second, because merely escaping with a pick doesn't help me accomplish my intelligence collection. Objective. Right. Yeah. You got to remember the goal. It's, uh, it's yes, you want to prevent your pick from being stolen, but there's also pertinent intelligence to be gathered from this person that might be, uh, you know, national security level stuff. So, um, and we are in DC, right? It's the capital of the world for spies. Um, all right. So everyone else is gone. Uh, it's been over an hour waiting for someone to emerge and steal this ice pick. Um, you're hiding about 20 feet away from the ice pick. You've got eyes on, you're in the shadows. Nobody knows you're there. And when, and then, uh, when the red, when the tall red tie man emerges and approaches the ice pick, he picks it up and is about to leave with it. Okay. Do you A, call the cops, or B, confront him and demand him to stop? I'd confront him. Yeah. Because I don't have any, any confidence of what the, the police would do. Who would That's they right. believe? Yeah. And, and what do you have in your right hand most of the time? I have a cane. You have a cane. Yes, we're going to get into that. So normally calling the cops would be the right answer. Right, but you are a trained, skilled guy, um, and you have to act quickly. You don't want this thing leaving because by the time the cops show up, that thing's going to be gone. All right, so you confront him. Now it's just you and the red tie man, and he has the pick in his jacket. Last question: Do you a de-escalate the situation and reason with him, or b? Do the big figure eight move with your cane and crack him over the head and crush his skull in and take your pick back. <laughs> uh, if he's got a crushed skull, he probably can't give me the intel I wanted. So I think I would talk softly but carry a big cane. And, there we uh, go. Combination of both answers. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, you got to get that back. So you got to show a certain level level of aggression, intimidation, whatever, whatever works. And then, uh, and then once you have that pick, then you can uh, see what else maybe is on it. Maybe tell them to you know, you, you got the cane. You show that you know how to use it, and uh, you make them lay down in the ter- what we call the terrorist T. Right, his legs crossed. He's laying on his chest, legs crossed, and his hands straight out like a big T. And then you can search him and see what he's got going on before the uh, before law enforcement arrives. But uh, great job, you, Keith, Melton, have survived this <laughs> podcast. We will be right back after the break. So Jim tells you uh, he's in dire straits. Uh, and he, he slips a USB drive to you and says that the drive has information on it that has to be delivered tomorrow. 
or very bad things will happen to Jim's family. Now, Jim is a good friend of yours, okay? And so, of course, you're going to do the right thing. You're going to do right by him. Um, the delivery of this information has to be discreet. And the bad guys are going to be coming for whatever is on this thumb drive, all right? Jim knows if there's anyone that can pull this off, it is super spy Chris Costa. Jim will text you the delivery location first thing in the morning. And because this is Can You Survive, this podcast, you can't say no to Jim. All right? So you take the thumb drive and you go on up to your hotel room. First question, do you A, go straight to bed and get some get a good night's rest because tomorrow will be a hard day or b hide the usb drive in the landline housing in your hotel room using a small screwdriver to gain access and tuck the thumb drive into the housing Took away my first option, which might be not accepting the thumb drive. Uh, of course, we're in the United States, and so there's a, a less chance of me getting arrested for espionage because of something that untoward that might have been uh, put on the USB, despite Jim being a friend of mine. So, uh, you know, if if I have to go to my hotel room. Securing it, even though uh, I don't have a real good visual for for the description of, uh, you know, the housing unit and the link to the USB. It seems to me not putting it in the in the safe is the right thing to do. Not just hiding it in my socks. So I'm looking for a CD, a concealment device, improvised. And you just offered me an imp- improvised CD. I think that's pr- probably a better option than just going to bed because I'm not comfortable putting the USB somewhere where somebody can get access access to it. So I'm going to go with B. All right, B. Good answer. You should never let your guard down at the end of the day, really. That's the simple thing. It's like if, uh, if you have the opportunity to uh, hide it, hide it correctly, and at least that way you can get a good night's rest and you don't have to worry about whatever's on this thumb drive being compromised. Um, uh, so you hide it and uh, you get a good night's rest. And this proves wise because the next morning someone posing as hotel security uh, makes up some story why you've got to leave your room so that they can do a general inspection. It's it's standard. It's normal. This is what This is what they do from time to time. And of course you oblige and you leave the hotel room. Um, but because you did a good job hiding the USB, uh, that, uh, that quote unquote security, uh, didn't find anything. Um, so they get, they, the, the security leaves, you come back to your room, um, and like clockwork, Jim texts you the address to the cafe. It's approximately 10 blocks away. And the description of a man, um, who you're going to, uh, meet is also part of that text. So second question. Next, do you, A, get out of there as fast as you can, travel light so you can get this over with as quickly as possible, or B, gather some supplies that may help disguise your, disguise your identity as you proceed on this uh, uh, impromptu mission? Yeah. 
Jeez, I don't see any advantage of uh, of disguising myself because, again, why would I disguise myself? I've got to meet the individual. Um, although on second hand, then I'm revealing what I look like to the individual when I approach him. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm gonna go with the the travel light rather than wearing a dis. Uh, wait a second, gosh, this is a tough one. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Yeah, You're thinking way into it, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through branches and sequels here and a couple of moves. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm overthinking it, which might be uh, your objective. You know what? Actually, I'm going to go with the uh, the travel light option rather than wear a disguise. Oh man. Okay. So yeah, the answer is B. You were going down the right path. You talked yourself in and out of it, but uh, gather some supplies because why not? And have that ability with you. Uh, before you proceed is the correct answer. Okay, so you've you've missed one at this point. Shame on you. All right, but once again, sometimes there are two right answers, and the right answer is the one that I pick, not the one you pick. Okay. <laughs> All right. So being prepared is often key for survival. You bring a hat to help conceal your face, and you wear a black T-shirt over a white T-shirt. That way, you can throw off any potential surveillance if necessary. You uh, bring your laptop with you in a messenger bag. You also grab an empty cigar cigar tube, Um, you know, because you like cigar tubes, right? Yeah. Yep, because they're good for concealing stuff. Um, And that applies to one of the skills in 100 Deli Skills Book 1, the rectal concealment. But we'll get back to that later. So you exit the hotel and proceed in the direction of the cafe, all right? Uh, There's a crowd gathering on your route that seems to be protesting something in D.C. Who would have thought? So do you, A, travel on foot through the crowd and follow the route um, in the most densely populated area with people, like leverage the crowd, or B, find an alternate route that has almost no pedestrians, no foot traffic, and choose that route? I'm going to tell you what I would do. I would, I would use the crowd to my advantage. Unless it's completely hostile, I want to get lost among the, you know, the sea of other, other individuals in the crowd. And then, uh, hopefully, when I come out of the crowd, it thins out a little bit, so I can detect whether I am under surveillance or not. Because the crowd is a bad place to do surveillance detection. Um, right. Elsewhere, and uh, when there's you know, sparse population, uh, you can certainly see if you're you're being followed. So in this case, I'm probably going to move through the crowd. Oh, good. Good answer. By taking the route that moves to the crowd, you increase your chances of blending in and becoming lost in the crowd to anyone who may be trying to follow you. Uh, so you slide your way through the crowd, keeping your head down. Um, you move several blocks using the crowd, and you're about halfway to your... Uh, destination. Uh, you turn a corner and you find yourself on a street with no one around you for that split second. Do you A, hustle back to a route with all the pedestrians and uh, continue to try and blend in? Or B, just take this opportunity to ditch the black t-shirt, leaving the white t-shirt on underneath? 
I'm going to probably go with uh, hmm. problem is again, I'm going to think out loud. The problem with change, changing your clothes is that's a bit provocative. If somebody sees you doing it right, then there's a, some kind of, uh, of, of guilt complex associated with that. On the other hand, when the crowd thins out, that's an advantage to really detect what your status is, right? Whereas diving right back into the crowd uh, doesn't give you that advantage. So summarize the two. two so uh, the first one is hustle back. A is hustle back to the route with all the pedestrians or B, ditch the black t-shirt, leave it on white just to throw off your uh, potential followers. Yeah, because I want to be clean uh, at the meeting site. I'm probably going to go with the t-shirt. Good. B, ditch the black t-shirt, leave it on the white. Um, you know, and on that note, you know, you and I have had all that extensive training. And uh, I think it's important, like on a safety security side, um, you know, you know, these these little tricks, these little tricks doesn't necessarily always apply. Like not everyone's going to walk out the door each day and go, I should carry a disguise with me <laughs> or a change of appearance of some form or fashion. Um, but it is something you could think about, like in those moments when you think you have the stalker, the, the, you know, the crazy guy following you, um, you know, there's other ways of changing appearance, uh, that could help you, uh, to evade whatever that potential situation is. Um, it could be a change in bags, a change in shoes, a change of any, anything that, you know, they lock onto and how they recognize you. A lot of times, you remember like messenger bags, it was like bad, right? right? For a while there, it was like, you're carrying the messenger bag, you go change your clothes, but you still got the messenger bag. That's the thing they key on. Or shoes, like a lot of times shoes don't get changed and they key on shoes. And it's like, doesn't matter that you just changed all your clothes, they still see the shoes. Um, So, but on the safety security side for the average person, if you're out there and you know, you think someone's behind you and you can dip into a store and maybe even buy something real quick and throw it on a jacket or something to just break up what their eyes are used to seeing. That is the key. You're just taking away, uh, the visual that their, that their brain is looking for, um, long enough for you to disappear. Um, okay. So yes, you, uh, the quick change of disguise, continue to help your efforts, throw off anyone who might be trying to follow you. Uh, you continue on your route and you make, uh, as you make your way to your destination. So next question, do you a speed walk as quickly as possible, uh, to get this over with as soon as possible or B keep an eye out for any cameras and make sure that you stay out of the view of surveillance. All right. That's the easiest question. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for the softball. I hope I'm right. It's going to be B because you're not, you're never going to change your gait because then that's alerting behavior to anybody following you. And frankly, whatever pace you are walking, you should continue in that pace. And that can be, that can be practiced, but you're always looking for what we call hot spots, right? We even have interactives at the spy museum that, that uh, reinforce those points. You're always looking for cameras, policemen, somebody that might stop you and ask you questions. So yeah, I would focus on B. Good job. B, uh, since we don't know exactly, you know, who's following you 
it's always a good idea to keep your keep your eyes open for cameras and surveillance or anyone uh, that may be you know just checking you out. Um, keep your head down and use the hat to shield your face. You know facial recognition these days it's it's difficult to get past it, but if you have something that covers your face like up masks during a pandemic, <laughs> then facial recognition just doesn't work anymore. Um, so maybe just continue to wear a mask, even though we're getting through this thing. Uh, if you want to increase your privacy, um, you are uh, now only a couple of blocks away. All right. So you're doing a good job. Uh, you cross the street as you get closer to your destination, but now you kind of got this feeling someone is following you. So do you a start glancing behind you? Um, to see if anyone's coming be- coming up from behind, or B, use the glass on the storefront. Now, you mentioned this earlier in our conversation, which I thought was funny. Use the glass on a storefront and- to see if anyone is behind you. So I'm going to use the glass. So I can, uh, I'm going to use the glass for reflection because there's a way to do that artfully. What, what I was saying earlier is what you don't yeah. want to stop and tie your shoes or be so obvious, right? Every bad spy movie has somebody looking in the reflection of a, a, a window. There's a way to do it very, very artfully. And uh, that's what I, I would do because turning around is just a dead giveaway uh, that you're looking to see if somebody's behind you, right? right. So you want what i alluded to earlier is you want your route to work for you and a trained intelligence officer will do a detailed route planning uh whereas this might i didn't have a chance to do do a detailed route planning right in in this scenario i'm going to presume i didn't so i do have to use available resources yeah no good answer um yeah looking around you know having your head on a swivel um you know, it does work in some cases when we talk about civilians on the street, you know, being alert, knowing what's going on around you, you most definitely want to do that. Um, during those times when you're playing a little bit of chess with potential uh, surveillance folks, then you don't. So there is a time and place for either one. Um, but at the end of the day, do, you know, when it, as it relates to security and safety, um, you know, do what feels right. Uh, especially in these situations where if you feel like you're being followed. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Okay, so you uh, you also decide to duck in to the same store that you are using the reflection. So do you, A, duck in behind the shelves uh, of this convenience store in hopes that you're not seen, or B, casually move to the back of the store and keep your head low, uh, go to the counter, maybe buy a, a pack of cigarettes and uh, use that chance to look and see if anyone is outside trying to you know play catch-up. Yes, yeah, so that's what we talked about earlier. I'm going to go and use it as a, a point of intrusion, if you will. I'm going deep into the store. I'm going to buy something. So there's a logic for me going into that store. No one goes into a store and pops out unless you're in a tourist town and you're doing that in every single store you pop into. And yeah. even then you develop a pattern. So it's thoughtful. So I would go in 
to the back of the store and I want to be in a position to want watch anybody coming into that store. Gotcha. Yeah, again, ducking in and out looks looks obvious. Looks like you're trying to hide. So you want to be discreet. You know, become the gray person, blend in with everything and everyone else around you. Um, so okay, you continue on your way and you find yourself uh, on a deserted street again, and it's just for a moment. You are almost there. So do you a run to your destination because you're so close, or b use that moment? Uh, on the empty streets to do another disguise change. So I am certainly not going to run to the objective. So I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. up to another uh, another disguise change. And again, I'm going to be confident at that point that I am not being followed. Or, or if I am being followed, then I'm going to have to think through it. But that's I'll pause there and just say I'm going to go into another disguise change rather than running to to uh to to go to the objective yeah you got it um keep anyone following you guessing right that's the goal is keep them keep them guessing or just not able to actually confirm you um and so you choose to do the quick change so you can see the cafe ahead of you you're walking towards it do you want to hold that usb in your hand so you can pass it off quickly as soon as you get inside or do you want to keep the USB hidden? Light a cigarette as you close the gap between you and the entrance of the cafe. Geez, this is a tough one as I think through it. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But if I have it in my hand uh, in such a way that it's, uh, you know, it's concealed, it, it allows me to also pass it off discreetly, maybe with a handshake to do sort of a brief encounter, which everyone's seen in the movies. So I'm not going to stop and uh, I don't think at this point and light a cigarette, I, but I'm not so sure. My confidence level isn't that high on this one. <laughs> yeah. So the, yeah, the brief encounters and those things were not thought about when writing the scenario, you gotcha. know, we kept it far more, uh, you know, uh, adventurous. So, um, you B, you know, you keep it hidden to the very last moment and you light a cigarette just so that it helps obscure your face as you approach. Cause you got your hands up to your face, okay. uh, which allows you to just get into the doorway. And now you, you're still remaining discreet all the way up to the door. Uh, now you're inside the cafe and you sit next to the target who needs the info on the USB that you have brought it for. Okay, so last question. Do you A, drop the USB on his table and get the fuck out of there? <laughs> or B, open your laptop, okay? Open up a text edit file or a Word document on your computer and type a message that you will leave the USB in between the seat cushions when you leave. Obviously, your screen is in view of uh, of the person. Geez, I I really like the uh, the latter uh, tradecraft of the the laptop, and uh, give you some deniability, some space to get out of there. And you're really communicating to him. That's all. Rather than telling him, you're doing it using using a file. I I like that. I like the tradecraft. It makes sense. He can pull it out of the the seat cushion when you leave. Plopping it on the table just makes you more vulnerable at the moment. Yeah, no, great answer. It's a, yeah, I think, um, you know, anytime you 
you're gonna you're trying to reduce the interaction but still have an interaction yeah you know i think that's really it's like chess that's what that's what all this is um so and creativity and you did a great job um now you know one final tip for the audience passing information discreetly you could use also an image an image file of some sort and you know, and you can hide text in them these days, yeah. man, there are so many little apps that do this for you. Um, it's, it's insane. How, uh, the, the easy, simple ways you can just pass information discreetly these days. It's almost scary. Um, but anyway, it makes it harder for, uh, th- you know, those third parties who may be watching, uh, to get any information or know what's going on. Um, but Hey, Good job, Chris. You have survived this podcast. And uh, I want to say thank you so much for coming on board um, and uh, talking to me today. And let's take a moment real quick and, you know, plug all the things you have going on at the Spy Museum, where people can find you, learn more about you and the, in, in the podcast that you have going on. Yeah, thanks, Clint. First of all, I want to applaud what you and your team do, because really, we're in the same business. You do an entertaining job of educating the public on things to think about that are really, really practical. And what we do at the Spy Museum, as you well know, is educate the public on the shadowy world of espionage, which is otherwise is not really available to the public. And we do that by getting the public to come visit me and us at the International Spy Museum, but also to tune in to our spycast or our podcast. We have a historian, Dr. Andrew Hammond, that does some really, really powerful interviews. And uh, it's exciting for me to watch Andrew being the new historian doing these podcasts. Anything from an author like you, Clint, to real intelligence practitioners, to foreign intelligence officers. It's an opportunity for us to educate the public. We have the same mission, Clint. It's been a privilege uh, to be on your program and to see you uh, in your post-warrior world. Uh, (laughs) And as an educator now, it's fun for me to watch. And it's a great it's a great opportunity for me today. So thanks for having me. And I'm glad I passed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I knew you'd pass. The thing was, the scenario is written at a uh, very simple level. You are obviously um, beyond simple when it comes to uh, your art. Um, but yeah, you did a great job. Thanks again. And uh, for all you listeners out there, like I always say, keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And until next time, we'll see you later. Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson. <laughs>